0: So the major philosophical change you have to get to in messaging is to understand the way messaging works relative to the actual buying process.
1: Here on the Twins Talk It Up podcast, we present topics about communication and leadership from our perspective as individuals and as twins. Welcome to the Twins Talk It Up podcast. A remarkable story can raise the value of your brand and strengthen customer loyalty. What story is your business telling? If you're looking for ways to improve your storytelling approach, with the intention of increasing sales and revenue, then this might be the perfect episode for you. We're honored to have our friend and the CEO of Aratium, Timothy Pollard, join the program. Aratium helps businesses build and deliver better messages. Tim has uncovered remarkable insights into the science of designing and delivering extraordinary sales messaging. He's worked with incredible organizations such as Cisco, Disney, IBM, LinkedIn, Ernest and Young, as well as Salesforce. He's the author of two books, The Compelling Communicator, Mastering the Art and Science of Exceptional Presentation Design, and a second book being Mastering the Moment, Perfecting the Skills and the Processes of Exceptional Presentation Delivery. He helps equip leaders, helps equip businesses in strengthening the story that they share. He does this to incredible success. Tim. Welcome to Twins Talk It Up. How are you today?
0: Uh, thank you so much, David. That's an incredibly generous introduction.
1: This is Danny. And from time to time, we'll let our listening audience know who's actually asking Tim the question. Aratim is a messaging consulting firm. Now, before we get into why Tim started this organization, I wanna bring up where he's located. Now, we have a very good friend, Dave and I, in Montana who introduced me to this thing called Rocky Mountain Oysters. And I did not know (laughs) how they got Rocky Mountain Oysters in Montana of all places. There's no ocean nearby. And so, yes, he tricked me into eating these things. And I found out soon after tasting it what it actually was. So we're going to leave that as a side note. But, Tim, (laughs) look, what made you move to Montana of all places? And then how did that lead you into starting this specialized firm that you have today?
0: Yeah, I think if your audience Googles Rocky Mountain Oysters, they're going to get a bit of a shock, but uh, you know what? That's a great exercise in branding, right? Because I don't think calves testicles is going to do very well on a menu. Um, I moved to Montana when I took a little break from the corporate world. I went to work for a nonprofit and uh, for a while uh, uh, worked in the field of conflict resolution, which I loved, a small Christian organization. But my passion and focus for two decades has been communication. Why does it fail so frequently? And then how do you fix it? And it was really, I used, in fact, I used a lot of that time in the nonprofit to develop a lot of the tools and processes that became the core of Eratium. So we started this company over 10 years ago now, and uh, it seems to do something important uh, for a lot of clients that need it.
1: That's fantastic. And I appreciate that you gave a little background of how to get started. Now, let's go back to what you do specifically because you're actually a messaging consulting firm. And I don't think a lot of people understand what that really means. And I think about, we think about organizations, they get messaging wrong every single day and they don't understand that when you get the messaging wrong, it impacts your bottom line. You could lose millions of dollars in revenue. So how can we help organizations because they get it wrong a lot? What are your thoughts on that, Tim?
0: Yeah, I mean, we are somewhat unique, I think. We're not an agency. We're certainly not a creative agency. We focus specifically on message architecture. How do you structure a message to make it substantially more effective? And then also, as a part of that, how do you make sure you deliver that message effectively? I mean, I think the place you have to start is what's going wrong. Um, Almost all companies, especially in the B2B space and especially in a more technical space, persistently consistently get their messaging wrong you've all seen kind of slide decks like this this is from a very well-known technology company i won't name Um, and the, the the problem fundamentally is not powerpoint although powerpoint is a very unsafe tool to use if you use powerpoint you are likely to be seduced by its very prompts into doing really really stupid things but fundamentally the problem isn't powerpoint fundamentally almost all sales organizations make three mistakes and they make them simultaneously and they add up to a very toxic cocktail. The first one is TMI. We just pack so much into our stories. The really interesting thing about this one is our motives are good and honorable. We don't actually set out to punish people with these decks. You know, we want to be thorough. We want to be complete. It is a complex solution. There's a lot of moving parts. Um, We want to sort of deal with every question in the room. I think a very interesting phenomenon, especially recently, is it's so hard to get time on the buyer's calendar. So if I can get that meeting, buckle up, buttercup, because I'm going to give you everything. So we have good intentions. What we don't realize is this creates absolute cognitive overload. And it doesn't matter if you have 50 slides to go through. The customer's long gone by about slide five. So you do that, you lose. The second problem with almost all messaging is that it's thoroughly confusing or perhaps a good word here is it's just unclear. Um, there are lots of reasons why this happens, um, but, but the customer leaves the meeting like, I don't really get it. I don't really get it. Now, sometimes that's because there's too much information. You're never gonna get it if you switched off a quarter of the way through, but it's also because we tend to lack narrative flow. There's no story here. Each slide is its own topic. But there's no logical narrative and i won't get into this but that is literally toxic to the brain in terms of comprehension and um i think then the third thing always you see is we love to get very technical very quickly and um almost all organizations have their own language the language of their industry or their specialized field and we we just fail to appreciate that that's not the language Of the buyer. It may be the language of one person in the buying group, but it will not be the language of the whole buying group. So uh, I literally can go through a deck like this, and and I would say it is it is incomprehensible, literally incomprehensible. And then thirdly, the third piece of this this toxic cocktail is messaging tends to be incredibly sender-oriented. We're very comfortable talking about ourselves and it is the content with which we're most familiar. So I go through this and it's features and functions and feeds and speeds and our history and how we got started there's a timeline there of the business and and the customer looks at this is like great good for you why do I care and um, when you combine these three things you, you create two devastating outcomes. I think uh, Danny your opening comment it's not that you might lose millions of dollars. You are losing millions of dollars. Depends on the size of the business. But something between millions and billions of dollars are on the line when you get this wrong. Because the first thing that happens is the meetings you're having, um, I know I'm giving you a long answer to your first question, but this is just so foundational. You need and want them to be compelling and they're not. By the way, when you put this in a virtual environment, it's a guaranteed disaster, we'll talk about that later. But I think this is the most important thing, and and this is something I want your audience to think really, really deeply about. What's really happening, and one of the reasons why these are not compelling, is that you're failing the most important test of communications, which I would argue is the retellability test. In fact, I would argue retellability is the single most important word in communications, and unquestionably, the most important word in sales communications. That's let's just run this you'll, you'll understand this immediately imagine this is me and i'm having a sales conversation with one individual let's say it's, it's you david and um you know is that meeting important yeah is that the most important meeting no never why because you're probably not the sole decision maker and that decision is never being made in that room what happens as we all know we know this instinctively but we don't apply it sometime later There's another meeting. It's a meeting you don't get invited to, the seller doesn't get invited to, and it's this meeting where the decision-making body of the customer is going to decide whether to go with this thing that I've been recommending. And as soon as we understand that, which we all instinctively do, we begin to realize that success is not how well this meeting goes, it's actually how well David, how effectively David can retell the story in the second meeting. And this has several incredibly profound implications. The first one is we tend to fixate on the first meeting, right? You ever been in sales, you come out, yeah, we nailed it. And then two weeks later, you get a phone call, yeah, we're not moving forward with you. You're like, what, how did that happen? We've all been there in sales. Well, the reason that happened is, as well as it went, if you gave this pile of garbage to the customer or, um, um, and they go into this meeting, they are completely incapable. In fact, you would never even try to retell the story. So, in fact, if you care about the science, what happens is they have to go in with unaided recall. What can they remember? Science has proven for over 30 years that unaided recall of any content will never exceed 10%. So you either give this guy something that he can't possibly use or just ask him to rely on memory and so neither of those can work what we have to do is we have to fixate on second meeting success is your message so crisp so clean so powerful compelling anchored in something the customer cares about that in fact it can function in the second meeting and of course if it functions here it'll be spectacularly good here I think the other implication is it changes the way you think about the very purpose of messaging is it the purpose of a sales message to persuade yes absolutely is that its only purpose no it is equally important that i equip i can't just persuade david it's not enough for him to be motivated he has to equally be equipped to take that message into this series of subsequent meetings and the reason that matters is i have almost literally asked a thousand sales leaders over the years do you build messaging to persuade and they'll say yes and i say do you build messaging to equip and they'll say i've never even thought about that so the the astonishing paradox here is we all understand this we all understand the existence of the shadowy buying group Its numbers have been well documented. It used to be 5.9, it went to 7.1, now it's 12.1. I mean, this has been documented by countless companies. We know this exists, but we still only fixate on this meeting. So the major philosophical change you have to get to in messaging is to understand the way messaging works relative to the actual buying process. So, But you kind of have to understand this story, or you have no way of fixing this problem.
1: David, Tim, and I appreciate you going into the approach of how to understand the mistakes and challenges that organizations have when creating messaging. But what I'm hearing as we break this down is that we either overwhelm our audience with too much information, that's the TMI, We lack clarity with the value that we're offering. That's the second point. And then essentially we fall in love with our own story, with our own data, that we get lost in that story in some way thinking it's going to magically resonate with our audience when it won't resonate with them. And, And I think that's what I'm hearing because it goes back to that adage of the old telephone line when we were growing up as kids. You would tell someone to write a message. They would tell somebody else. And by the time it gets back to you, that message is totally different. And that's where that latter part of what you stated, Tim, comes in. And we'll talk about that in a minute. So so let me ask this, if we fall in love with our own data, if we fall in love with our own story, how do we help organizations or rather, how do you help organizations to clarify that narrative, to create what you call that narrative flow and to present a message that will both persuade and equip, how do you help them to get out of love with their message and in love with creating something that will work?
0: That's a really interesting and very multi-part question. There are two or three different questions you've asked. One of them is creating messages compelling. One of them is about about narrative flow. And then the third piece about retellability. So let let me kind of, let me deconstruct my answer there. The way you solve this is you need a new framework through which to design your messaging. And PowerPoint isn't even a framework, it's nothing. It doesn't ask you any questions, it doesn't make you think about the message, it just says click to add title, click to add bullet. So PowerPoint's beyond unhelpful here. What you need is an intellectual framework which you follow, and this is our model, and essentially what it leads you to or is based upon is seven hallmarks that the messaging you build to solve this problem has to conform to seven hallmarks. Now, I'm not going to go through all seven, but let me just give you two or three. Um, I'll give you three and then a, a bonus fourth. The first thing you have to achieve is messaging that is astonishingly crisp and clean and simple. So, for example, this is the new messaging for WebEx, the platform, competes with Zoom and Teams and stuff like that. This used to be 50, 60 slides that you wouldn't want to sit through. This is that new message. Incredibly crisp and clean and simple. Simplicity in messaging is a matter of self-discipline. Now, let me, let me make, let's go one level deeper there. What is the fundamental problem with TMI? The fundamental problem and arguably it's a distinguishing characteristic between bad presenters and communicators and very good ones is it is a failure to understand the difference between primary and secondary and to separate them because the problem with this deck is a little bit of it is really the primary information that needed to be in here and most of it is the secondary information that did not need to be in here so the first thing you've got to do is you've got to understand what is primary what is the customer problem how is it manifesting what are its economic impacts What are the load-bearing beams of our value proposition, our solution to solve that problem, and how does we move forward? It's, It's that simple. Those are the primary elements of a message, and all the other crap needs to go elsewhere. tip for everyone, everyone when they build messaging builds one document. Never do that. Always build two. Build a primary document that contains the core argument And then dump all of the other stuff into an appendix and put it on the table, a ring bound appendix. If you need it, go there for specific reasons and causes, but don't blend them. So that's the first foundational tenet. If you don't get that right, nothing else is gonna work.
1: We'll be right back after this short break. I am delighted to announce that App Meetup's customers can now benefit from the presentation and speaking training courses with our integration and partnership with DSP Leadership Group. DSP Leadership Group is committed to providing training and resources to support professionals becoming more effective communicators and increase their impact and value. And that is the reason why App Meetup and DSP Leadership Group have formed a partnership to make sure that our MSPs, which is you, can be effective and powerful speakers in the community. for all your event needs, let us deliver the message your audience needs to hear. Let us deliver beyond your expectations. Thank you for listening to the Twins Talking Up podcast. As a special thank you, we have an amazing offer for our listeners. 20% off products or services on our website. Just send us an email with the subject line podcast, and we will send you that special discount code at dsbleadershipgroup.com. And now, let's get back to the episode. Welcome back to Twins Talk It Up podcast. Uh,
0: The second of 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 the truly critical hallmarks is it must be profoundly rooted in a customer problem. I'll give you an example. This is a messaging for an industrial lighting solution that's sold to hospitals um, uh, particularly senior living facilities now, I, I unpacked this case in great detail in, in the first book now the old pitch here actually I have it I believe I have it this is the old deck you know what is the product and how does it work and it's all very sender oriented it's a mere 60 slides and not the worst you've ever seen but it, it vaguely alludes to oh you're probably spending too much money on lighting well Danny imagine you're the CEO of a senior living facility you couldn't care less that's not a problem you care about however the new message does this it says hey if you get lighting wrong it's really going to hurt your hospital it's going to hurt your hospital at least four ways it's going to really hurt nursing productivity you're going to lose nurses because people don't like working in in sort of dark environments it's going to kill your brand This is, um, you know, people have a choice where to put their elderly parents. They come in and this place looks awful. They're gonna go down the street. So it's hurting your brand, which is hurting occupancy, which is hurting profitability. It creates a ton of legal risk. You know, people slip and fall in dark stairwells. Nurses might be attacked in a dark parking lot. And then finally, um, it actually can hurt clinical outcomes. There are several Uh, For example, skin, this is all true, there are several skin conditions you can't diagnose if you don't have the right UV balance in your lighting. So this message leads with that narrative. Now, let me ask you a question, Danny. You would have been completely uninterested with a 15% saving on your lighting bill. How interested are you when I'm talking about nursing productivity, brand erosion, legal risk and clinical outcomes? So two things now happen. One is you get tremendous engagement. The customer really leans in here, like, I I care about all these things. Now, what we're doing here, of course, is combating sender orientation. The second thing is I am powerfully motivating the customer to act. In all sales, the most common competitor that you lose to is the do-nothing option. That you must, in all sales messages, take the do-nothing option away. Danny you can throw me out but it is really hard for you to walk away and and agree to continue to live with these four problems so the problem centricity of a message is so foundational to its success by the way if you want a good tip typically one-third of a sales conversation should be on the customer problem with no mention of your solution and if you look at messaging like this this is very commonly the full first panel here Because once the customer's here and they agree that this problem's real and they care about it, honestly, you're about 80% of the way home. Third hallmark, the brain does really well with ideas, and the brain does very badly with facts and data. But what do we put into our decks? Crap load of fact and data, very, very few governing ideas. Um, I'll prove it. When, when we hang out the phone today, metaphorically, and you two are talking, like, oh, what did you think of this guy? One of you will say, that's pretty cool, I really like that idea of retellability, this idea of the second meeting. Your brain is doing what all brains do, is it's boiling information to critical ideas. It's, in fact, how the brain stores information, it's ideas of the traffic of the mind. So what you should do, then, is build your narrative around a small number of big ideas, which you will support with a a select fact and data. But you build it around big ideas. Let me give you an example. Imagine I'm back with Danny. He totally agrees he has this problem. The narrative here is three big ideas. One, a modern lighting solution will totally solve this problem. It'll, it'll, um, It'll give people a lovely environment to work in it will give your uh, appearance a sparkliness it'll be a great brand experience etc cetera, etc cetera. so now Danny thinks okay I like this but I can't afford it we haven't got much budget so the second big idea is the ROI is astonishing why because LED lights now have come down in price they last forever they never need to be replaced and you get rebates for going to low uh, to high efficiency lighting so the economic case is gorgeous So now Danny's like, this is great, I just have one final problem, I can't shut the freaking hospital for a year and put the grannies in the parking lot while I do this. So the third big idea is deployment is non-disruptive. So my whole story, instead of being 70 slides, is a a modern lighting and control solution will completely resolve this, the economics are fabulous, and deployment is non-disruptive. I just did the pitch in about four seconds and that's what happens when you get to big ideas so when you're in a confined space of a virtual meeting or you've got to do a really quick meeting or a summary or an elevator pitch it's the digest of those big ideas so those those are probably the three most important hallmarks of a message the final bonus one is build a document and build that document for specifically retellability because you know this group exists so if I build a document that's actually a lot of people look at this and go well that's a lot of text that's a bad brochure I'm like yeah because it's not a brochure I bet most people watching don't realize this the sales document is almost unique if not actually unique in the business world it serves a very specific purpose which is retellability. So it's built and structured in a different way, a very logical narrative, problem, solution, action, much more text than you would expect. And then the seller walks through it in detail. Why? Because they're teaching the customer to retell the story. So we have all the tools behind this model, but when you build it this way, you create, so I finally, again, answer your question, something that's incredibly compelling. That was the first part of your question. It has a distinctly logical narrative flow, which was the second part of your question, and is thoroughly built, deliberately so, for retellability. And that's where you see this dramatic impact. In fact, this particular example went from, I think, a 13% sales conversion rate to a 34% sales conversion rate. I mean, you'd crawl over broken glass to get five more points. You don't, this is two and a half times. And that is not uncommon. If you have a great solution, the only thing between you and, and real success in sales is often the message. And, and we see this over and over again.
1: Well, the, I know that our audience, this is Danny, is really excited about all this because this is something that when we build things out, our mindset and our heart, we want to do, we want to do the right thing. We feel like we have the best product amongst a whole bunch of comp- competitors out there and we totally lose track that the audience that we're speaking to has to remember all this data. And as you said, in the first couple of minutes, they might just say, you know what? I'm zoning out. You don't speak my <laughs> lingo. You're getting too technical. I don't understand it. I can't retell your story. When people tell me, hey, how did that sales call go? Or how did that meeting go? I don't know what to say. So I really appreciate you giving our team and our audience and people out there just some quick things to think about. Because at the yeah. end of the day, when no matter what happens, I need to walk away feeling that you understood my problem, that you gave me a way to make this happen. And this is when you brought in the ROI, I love that aspect. But you also put a plan in place where I can retail it simply because it's big ideas to my team, my internal team. And we all have those gatekeepers. Every time you make a sales call, you're gonna have a gatekeeper. What can you say to the gatekeeper so that he or she can retail that message, that story, make a big impact to get you into that second meeting. So I really appreciate you saying that, Tim. A lot of times we do this, go to the bat, step up to the plate. We try to hit home runs every single time. And if I tell people, hey, 30, 30%, if you like, if you think 30%, is that successful or not successful in baseball? People are like, what are you talking about? If you're hitting 30%, yeah. you're making 35 to $40 million a year. So yeah. it's really impressive that you can take this from 13% to 35% conversion And I don't understand why people aren't doing this. Trust me, I'm making 100 sales calls. If I can increase my conversion rate that significantly, by that factor, I need to do that ASAP because as a sales rep, it's my quote online. It's my commission. I want to make as much money as possible. (laughs) So I appreciate you bringing that up, Tim. I thank you for showing that. It's a very simple message, simple story. And the last bonus that you did, the retail, oh, man, that's fantastic.
0: Yeah. It's funny, it's so much in what you just said there. There's a real paradox in sales. Companies invest millions, sometimes tens of millions of dollars in things like CRM systems. There's nothing wrong with that. You know, it used to be SAP, now it's Salesforce. And it's a monumental lift and a royal pain for everyone and that they hope, and they don't even always get this, they hope for a really small lift in sales outcomes or they're constantly redesigning the comp plan or reorganizing the territories and they're looking for these small lifts. We can literally convert a message from complete garbage to perfection in two weeks if it's a real rush project and sometimes we can go in like in a couple of days have it done. It's not that hard and yet the lift is enormous. The ROI on fixing messaging is higher I would argue than anything else you can do in sales and it's also really, really fast. We're working with a company right now, we've just started working with them. We got seven messages on deck, it's an industrial company, really interesting solutions. All of those, we've just started, what is it? Early December, all of those will be out in the market very early in 2023, inflecting the 2023 performance. So um, people are doing this, but they, I think, I think underneath this is an interesting question. I don't don't think people look at this and think it's good. I don't think anyone looks at this and thinks it's good. It isn't that type of complacency. I don't think they realize there's a better way of doing it, because PowerPoints become the default. So when I show someone something like this, they're like, how do I get one of those? It's like magic. I'm like, it's not magic. It's the sum output of a process. But I think you're onto something, Danny. People don't invest in this, but not because they think that what they're doing is working. I've never met anyone who says, no, 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 I love this. Everyone loves these crappy decks. I think there's something more fundamental. They don't realize there's another way of doing it. And I think that's why we're successful in our field. There is another way of doing it, and it can be proceduralized. There is a process you can learn. Our goal, by the way, is not to do messaging. Our goal is to teach clients to learn how to do this themselves and eventually graduate with that skill.
1: We'll be right back after this short break. We want to thank our sponsor for today's episode, Paul Jakowitz of Pauljackowitz.com. For all your website design and management needs, visit Paul Jackowitz. That's Paul. J-A-C-K-I-E-W-I-C-Z dot com. Are you projecting the right image to your market? Are you optimizing your name recognition and presence online? Elite Public Image is a leader in strategic communications and marketing solutions, ranging from public relations, brand communications, and content marketing strategy, to social media and reputation management for businesses professionals, and VIPs of all types. Whether you're looking to develop a spectacular brand or need a brand refresh, look no further than Elite Public Image. Visit ElitePublicImage.com and let Elite put their experience to work for you. Thank you for listening to the Twins Talk It Up podcast. As a special thank you, we have an amazing offer for our listeners a free consultation over the next two weeks visit our website and schedule your free 30-minute consultation and now let's get back to the episode welcome back to twins talk it up podcast this is danny again i appreciate you bringing that up tim that your goal is to train the clients this is so important all throughout life we think that learning stops once we get to college or secondary or third third degree <sighs> No, learning has to continue forever. I, I, I've met so many owners, small business owners, mid-sized business owners, and we're working with uh, Microsoft at this moment and their partners where they stop learning. They want to train their own techs or their own internal staff, but they stop learning and training on themselves. It's so very important that they continue to learn and be trained. And I appreciate that that's your goal is that, look, we want to train you. We want to teach you. We want to help you. And you need to basically go out and fish now. It's that goal about learning how to fish. Now, I think a lot of times sales reps, they get trigger happy. When we go back to this trigger happy, I had a great meeting. I knocked it out of the park, as you said earlier, and you realize, man, I'm not getting that next call. We we so many times believe during the meeting that when the client says, yeah, okay, great. Sounds good. They've already checked out. But we think that we hooked them. We think we're going to close the deal. And then this whole silence happens. Can you talk a little bit about this disconnect again, and and what is it that they're missing when it comes to hooking in that that great opportunity that they they <clears throat> hope to have?
0: That's a really, really good, very interesting question. Can try and avoid the super long third answer. I think it all comes back to this. Um, I think there are two fundamental reasons why you 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 you. You just don't get that, um, you, you come out of the meeting, you think it's gone well, and, and, and you realize later it didn't because you didn't get the forward momentum. I think the first one is we're just insufficiently anchored in the problem. We, we, we love talking about ourselves, but I, I, I kid you not, the overwhelming majority of messages I look at, I'd say 50% of them never really mention the problem. They they leave it to the customer to infer the, the, the problem. So, if they say, you know, well, our solution will, you know, speed up your customer response time. I'm like, okay, so now I've got to mentally say, okay, So so I'm guessing the problem would be customer response times low and it's bad and how bad is it? You're asking the customers to do a tremendous piece of work there, whereas if you start by saying, look, in your industry, customer response time is four days, the standard that people want is instantaneous or, say, four hours, this is losing you this much business with this much economic impact. I've now set the foundation for the argument that I'm going to improve response time, but most messages, honestly... 50 percent of them at least they, le- they they force you to infer the problem they solve it's so paradoxical because we talk about solutions which implies we're going to talk about problems but we never do the funniest thing is this is our solutions messaging and it never mentions a problem that's actually ridiculous the second 50 they, percent they mention the problem but they gloss it because they just say hey wouldn't you like to be more customer focused and then they just straight into their solution but if you don't lead and linger, if you don't spend the time on it, you never create this motivation. So I think the first reason this really happens is we, we, we get it entirely the wrong way around. We're actually always talking about our solution and the customer never makes the connection. The second thing is more subtle. Imagine, I'm a tech, you've got a lot of technology companies, right, who subscribe to you, so this is incredibly important. So you're a, you're a seller. And you are going to be talking to probably someone on the technical side, CIO, if you're really lucky, CTO, probably somebody on the technology side. And we work with, with Cisco and IBM now Kindrel. They're all doing technical sales to technology people. Now, here's the question. If you use technological terminology, is that OK here? And the answer is maybe, maybe yes, they will understand that here's the problem who's on the buying group for most technology solutions you're going to have someone like the CFO who's going to look at the financials you're going to have someone it may not be the senior but in this function operations, COO because we're bringing a system in for people to use so operations are going to be very involved in that is this say the new dispute resolution solution you're going to offer us It's bought by the technology team, but it's used by regular people in operations. That might also mean HR, Um, almost certainly, um, well, actually it depends, uh, but procurement, you know, there's a buying process here. How technical is CFO? They're not. How technical is the COO? They're not. How technical is procurement? They're not. So this guy goes into this meeting, he is going to go in with the technical message and this makes absolutely no sense to to anybody and it and, and he or she might be successful in saying look guys i know you don't understand the technology but we need this but that is not the defensive posture you want your advocate to have now contrast that with something like this let's imagine now this is a hospital buying group so let's imagine I'm pitching this lighting solution, and I'm talking to the head of operations of the hospital. And so I can get kind of technical. But somewhere in the buying group is the head of nursing and is the chief marketing officer, so that's an end marketing officer, head of legal or general counsel, and the most important person in any hospital is the chief medical officer. Instead of, if you follow this one sentence, it's transformative. Instead of the operations guy going into this meeting saying, hey, we should do this lighting upgrade because it's good for me in operations. What if he can go in and say, we should do this lighting retrofit because it's good for us because it's gonna improve nursing productivity. It's gonna increase our brand, improve our brand and avoid this brand decay it's going to minimize legal risk and it's going to improve clinical outcomes right you saw how we did this he's now going in with a message that directly connects to the whole buying group now this is this is the deep end of the water i didn't think we would necessarily get into this today but that's when a message is really cooking on gas because now instead of this person just signing off on this because it's good for bob in operations You know the chief medical officer she's signing off on this because like i want to have better clinical outcomes and so the one of the reasons most sales pursuits dies is they completely fail to think through this dynamic of the second meeting who's in it what do they care about and they they kind of hope that this person can sort of muscle agreement because it gives them what they need yeah and they can passionately say, I need this, it's what I need. But there's so much, it's so much better if they can go in, so no, 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 this is what we need. This is good for all of us. That That's when you. That's a very advanced concept. But when you master that, and again, we can teach people how to do this. Now, spectacular things happen because the buying group is working with you, not against you.
1: This is David, Tim, and I, and I appreciate you going down this path where we've got to break down and train our leaders to ask the right questions, ask more questions, specific questions. And the key for those decision makers, for that buying group that you're speaking to is answering the question, what's in it for me? Every department head, the COO, the CTO, the CFO, they all have different areas they're responsible for. And while they might be intrigued by the overall story and the picture for everybody else, they're answering that question, what's in it for me? That's what they want answered. So if you could teach your sales reps, if you could teach your leaders how to go into these conversations, painting the simple picture and getting those leaders to be able to see what's in it for themselves, that's how you keep that fish on the hook. Tim, let me ask you this as we talk about this health pandemic that the world has gone through. We talk about the changes that's happened. We now have hybrid work models. We've had more meetings conducted online through all the different platforms that are out there. What are some of the similarities or differences, or should I say challenges, that might come from virtual sales meetings or virtual meetings versus in-person meetings?
0: Fantastic question. The most important thing to understand Um, Is is that when the world went virtual, we immediately ran to one question, which is, oh, oh, how do I manage the platform? How do I turn my screen on? Uh, How do I share a document? You know, must remember to wear pants. I mean, literally, it was that trivial. And for about three to six months in, I guess, 2019 now, we were helping a lot of companies with basic mechanics. But that wasn't the real issue. The real issue is infinitely more subtle and interesting. Selling is a uniquely social process. There's no other profession like it. It's this very delicate ballet. All your listeners, viewers know this. It's a very delicate ballet. Great salespeople may or may not be great communicators, but they all have very high social IQ. This is very unusual, and what happened is virtual meetings are, to some extent, can be described as an asocial environment, an environment with a completely different social dynamic. So the question is, how will a social process work in an asocial environment? And the answer is, the asocial environment will amplify messaging mistakes. Let me explain. There are three fun, and I won't have room to write this all out, but you'll get it from what I'm saying. There are three fundamental differences in the online social dynamic. One is distraction. People in live meetings face to face, there's tremendous social pressure on them to kind of stay involved. It would be rude to pick up your phone and do something else. Online, all bets are off. People play with the dog, they check email, they're streaming Netflix in the middle of a meeting. It's unbelievable how people are willing to self-distract. Now I want you to see the amplifying effect. If your message is already confusing, how can it possibly function if the customer is switching off for 30 seconds and coming back and the brain does not multitask, not even well, it doesn't do it at all. So somebody switches off for 30 seconds, they're gonna be completely lost and the the sale will stall. The second challenge is it's well known now that we experience as humans a loss of mental bandwidth we're actually not quite as intelligent in a virtual meeting and what's actually happening is we have to focus so intently on a screen versus the energy or the effort we have to put in a live meeting that it drains our mental resources actually there's a build-up of a chemical in the brain called glutamate which is the brain's protection against overload. And what it does, it lowers cognitive function. So when you talk about Zoom fatigue, that's a medical thing. By the way, if you're a seller, never do a meeting in the afternoon. Always do your meetings in the morning. Let some other idiot catch the customer on the wrong end of their fatigue curve. So now again, think about this. If you're already packing too much in, machine gunning the customer fire hosing them how's that going to work if they have less mental bandwidth to begin with and then the third one is maybe the most interesting to me at least is a loss of feedback or social cues if i'm selling and i've done a lot of selling in my life i'm in a room i can see somebody's like tracking with me yeah good and somebody's like obviously disagreeing and uncomfortable I am going to be good because I have social IQ at saying, hey, Danny, it looks like you're not really comfortable with what I'm saying there. Tell me about that. What's going on? You surface the issue and you deal with it. Sellers are very, very good at this. How the heck do I do that in a virtual room and especially if people have their cameras off? So again, a, a tactical tip is make sure you ask people to turn their cameras on and push that to its limit of politeness. Say, look, let's try and have a real human exchange. But again, if you're being confusing and you're packing too much in and the customer isn't getting it, what do you do if you cannot read that you've lost them? So virtual selling exists in this unique confluence of these three forces. The last part of your question is how do you solve it? Is everything you do to fix messaging uh, in the way I've described completely solves the problem for the virtual environment because you're fundamentally building messaging here that aligns with the way the brain works Now there are for example some tactically different things you do in a virtual meeting I won't get into I can't get into those now but I'll give you an example in a hybrid meeting you've got five people in the room three people online do you know you should always follow up after the meeting one-on-one with the three online participants? Why? Because they felt so disconnected. You want to check back with them saying, hey, Danny, I know it was really hard to be online. I did enjoy meeting you today. Any questions? Did it all make sense? That's just a fabulous tip. Follow up with your online participants in a hybrid meeting. So there are a bunch of things we can teach you about how to uh, what are some of the distinctives of a hybrid or virtual meeting? But fundamentally, it's this. You've got to get the message right, and then it works perfectly well in an online setting.
1: This is Danny. I appreciate those tips. There are so many times where you said that you need to be polite. You need to really help people to turn on the camera in the room. And this is so so crucial in a room where people are physically there. You're absolutely right. You can see their facial responses. You can see if their arms are crossed. You can see a lot of the non-verbal cues to let you know that hey, you need to get back on track. You're going too long. All that other stuff. When people are not there, and I'm I appreciate you bringing this up. The people, the three people who are actually virtual. You need to follow up with them. You're absolutely absolutely right. I I don't know how many times we tell the audience, listen, when people are in virtual. You have to be able to see them on the camera so you can see their verbal facial expressions. And if you can't get that, you always have to bring them right back into the conversation. Bring them back in. And that's going to get them re-engaged. Now, you've worked with organizations of all sizes out of Montana, which is so fantastic. You talked about IBM, yeah. talked about LinkedIn and Kindrel. All these organizations you've worked with, large organizations, small organizations, who have been some of your favorite ones to work with What was about that organization that has been what I'll call rewarding for you to work with them? And why do you believe that uh, these organizations found that working with you, they felt they were trained upright to do it on their own? Um,
0: I love that question. I don't think I've ever been asked that before. I mean, we work with organizations of all shapes and sizes. I mean, the, the bigger companies you've named... I love working with small companies. We work with startups, technology startups. Um, They're particularly interesting because startups, particularly in a technical space, are almost always led by somebody that invented a technology and they tend to be people who are tremendously bad at messaging. So, because they're technology by orientation and, and I love working with them or we love working with them because you can have such a breakthrough because say, hey, you've got this amazing solution. And um, if you just apply these messaging principles, it'll be transformative, and it is. We're working with some tiny startups. One's figured out how to do carbon fiber recycling. One's figured out how to do uh, underground, not underground, underwater recharging stations for, for pilotless drone submarines that measure sea temperature. Just really interesting things. And their messaging was horrible, and and yet it could be fixed, and so they they get a real breakthrough. Uh, By the way, the other thing we do with those startups, we help them with their messaging to investors. And that's really, really important because um, uh, if you get your investor messaging wrong, you never even get out of the the starting gate. Um, I'd probably answer that question more broadly in two ways. One is some of the companies we work with are just so much fun. Um, we built a message one time, which we called the, the, the famous chicken prison riot message. When you, the whole world is going to cage free eggs. Now, when, when, when chickens are in cages, factory farming, it's dreadfully cruel, but at least they don't fight each other. Cage free, chickens go riot, they go full riot, they kill each other, all kinds of crazy things happen. It's really funny. And they do that because the humidity level in the the, the building has gone wrong. They're incredibly sensitive to changes in humidity. So, the most fun message we ever built was how do you stop the chicken prison riots. It's a company that makes very, very complex, very sensitive environmental controls. So, I just love my job because every week I'm working with something that's new. You know, we do uh, college, uh, some donor messaging for some leading colleges and technology, stuff like that. The companies that get the most out of what we do are the ones that are actually serious about change. Um, I will, we'll often conclude that the companies that really get the most out of us have what we call a growth mindset. They look at this and they say, we know it's not good enough and we're really committed to fixing it. And in fact, that often means we, we get engaged at the CEO level and, and he or she is like, we are going to fix this. And that is when it just goes the best. Sometimes Companies are like, yeah, this isn't great, but hey, we're doing okay, why would we bother? And they're not properly committed. It's like anything in life, if you're not properly committed to improve, you're not gonna improve. I have a very I have a very sort of mediocre desire to improve my golf game. Well, guess what? My golf game isn't getting any better, but I'm an obsessive fly fisherman and I'm a world-class fly fisherman because so I'm committed to keep improving. And I think the companies that benefit from us most are the ones that say, this is not good enough. We can do better and we're committed to it. And we just love working with them because they go all in and then they see the fruit and it just becomes uh, self-reinforcing as it
1: goes. This is David, Tim, and I'm loving this. And well, for our listening audience out there, if you also are enjoying conversations like this, make sure you are subscribed and you're downloading these episodes. It allows us to bring incredible guests like Tim onto the program. You are in the right part of the country for fly fishing. That's for sure. So you're not gonna work on your golf game, but a couple months of the year on Montana, but you can work on that fly fishing. I love that. Tim, I wanna ask you real quickly because for the time's sake, I wanna bring you back on. We're gonna have to have you back on the program, but for the sake of this time here, Dan and I focus a lot of our training with our C-suite members, the companies and organizations we work with on how to overcome speaking anxiety, how to improve their communication skills. This methodology, this makes it so much easier. You don't have to go and guess. You don't have to just do this song and dance. Is she going to like me or not? No, you put out their, their challenge. You help them to see the story in such a way that the only possible solution is to work with you to make sure that those challenges that they have are addressed. I love it. Simple. But you wrote two books. You wrote two books, Compelling, Communicator, and Mastery in a Moment. I want to ask you real quickly, you you mentioned at least twice in our conversation, aspects of science into your training as a a communications trainer. I love this because in one of your books, you talk about the carbon atom model, where you break down having the right content, and the right sequence, and the right engagement. Talk real quick about how... You've integrated science massively into your communication training.
0: I mean, it's it's foundational to everything we do. This, this model I've laid out is not based on, hey, this is crap, this is pretty. The, the model is based on how does the brain consume information. We've learned more about how the brain works with information in the last 10 years than in all of human history to that point and and so we now understand actually how neural pathways are formed when and how the brain engages when and how it it disengages and um, uh, the entire model is derived from brain science which is why when you build messaging this way it'll work in any medium because the human brain remains the human brain you have to navigate around the specific idiosyncrasies of that medium but the model is the same. So everything we do um, is based on, on brain science. What we've done though is, is to try and take the science and turn it into a set of tools and processes. And that was the carbon atom, which was the six-part model in the first book. And this is essentially the the a, a way of explaining the way the carbon atom works. So the underpinnings are entirely scientific. The output is entirely pragmatic. It's It's a model you can apply and use and there's a model for message design and then also a model for message delivery. A number one skill to acquire in terms of presentation skills is precision in language. The one thing you must do is make sure the message you've built is actually what comes out of your mouth on the day. So I argue always the single most important presentation delivery skill is actually rehearsal because there's an infinite number of ways of articulating even a moderately complex thought. There's a few, that, and most of them are bad, there's a few that are good, there might be just a tiny handful that are very good, and there might just be one you know, exquisitely perfect articulation of a thought, and that's what you want to get to. The difference this makes is huge. You can have a great message, but totally fumble the meeting, We actually have two courses, e-learnings, foundations of sales message design and foundations of sales message delivery. The first one is about how do you build messaging? The second is how do you have an effective sales meeting? How do you make sure that the message you've built um, is exactly and precisely the one that comes out of your mouth on the day? And then secondly, particularly, how do you manage the conversation so it moves the sale forward rather than derails the 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 sale completely and you have a one hour conversation that gets off track and then your meeting has been stolen so we we divide our world from a almost from a philosophical standpoint between message design and message delivery so design and delivery or message and meeting and i I think the folks that like our work the most tend to engage with both like how do i build a great message and then how do i have a great sales meeting in fact we're just funnily enough in the studio filming Uh, and updates to both of these e-learnings. And by about early January, both of these will be available. And and these, I think, are very powerful.
1: That's awesome. Tim, this is David again. And I want to thank you for sharing incredible insight into how to create great stories and the value of message architecture, because this could be the missing link for so many companies who are looking to accelerate success around Revenue and sales. I want our audience today in our hearing to make sure they avoid those mistakes that Tim mentioned. TMI, too much information. The lack of clarity. Is your message just confusing and you don't know how to present your value proposition in the right way? And is it too what I call sender focus? You're not thinking about your audience. You're thinking about yourself. And this is why message principles like Tim has shared can be so valuable for you. What does he say are hallmarks of great messaging? Simple and crisp. They focus on the problem, big ideas, rather than being convoluted with all the little details. And then retellability, can you share that message in such a way that that message can be easily retold over and over and over again to the point where they become the apologists and sell for you? He mentioned also the value of understanding the difference between virtual environments and presenting in person. If you wanna learn more about Tim and his world, visit oratium.com. You'll get insight into his work. You'll get opportunities to learn about his e-training content. And make sure to go to Amazon and pick up his books, The compelling Communicator, and the second book, Mastering the Moment. Tim, thank you for coming on to our program. Thank you for sharing with us about what you're doing. And even now, Dan, we've got to make our trip to go see John in Montana because it's been way too long. Tim, thank (laughs) you for joining our program.
0: No, thank you. I'm laughing, and you must realize why. Good communication is retellable. You literally just flawlessly retold everything we discussed in this hour. You literally just retold it perfectly, and and that's the proof— of the very idea I've been trying to get across. I'm not trying to sell you anything, but if you went into another room and said, these are the three mistakes we're making. These are the hallmarks of messaging that solves that problem. And here's the virtual dynamic. That would have been very, very effective. So there's a great irony to your last comments because you retold what I had done in an hour, what you retold it in about 30 seconds and what your brain had done is reduced it to a small number of big ideas. So you're kind of living proof, perhaps without even trying. So well done.
1: Thank you for listening to the Twins Talk It Up podcast. Please subscribe and follow us on Instagram at DSP Leadership and visit us online at dspleadershipgroup.com to learn more about our workshops and trainings. We will see you on the next episode of the Twins Talk It Up podcast. Thank you for listening to the Twins Talk It Up Podcast. Please subscribe and follow us on Instagram at DSP Leadership and visit us online at dspleadershipgroup.com to learn more about our workshops and trainings. We will see you on the next episode of the Twins Talk It Up Podcast.